morning, everyone. It's good to see you here with us and to interact with you guys online as well. Hey, before I hop into the message today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing our sermon series uh, called Blessed, and we've been looking at the Beatitudes. I want to uh, just remind everyone and address the thing that's going on, of course, with the COVID-19 virus. And as you see, you know, numbers going up around us and what are we doing and what's going on. Um, let me just tell you that ever since, and some of you may have gotten this in the email or seen it um, online last night, ever since uh, we began dealing with this, which uh, seems like a year ago, but it was March, um, I know that very well because I was in Nome, Alaska uh, when all of this started and uh, came back to this. Our staff has been closely monitoring um, this situation, and honestly, one of the earliest conversations we had was hey, we realize this isn't a if somebody in our church gets this or come in con- comes in contact with it, it's when. And so we are operating and the decisions that we're making are under that understanding um, that, of course, the, everything that has been happening has been to slow the spread, not stop the spread, right? You understand that. And so anytime that you're out, whether you're out here or whether you're out at Walmart or uh, Home Depot, which apparently the, the virus doesn't exist there, right? So we've all seen those memes. But whether you're out and about, um, we understand that it's, it's taking a risk right now. And so what we're doing here at the church is we're doing everything we can to keep things as safe as possible. We have the hand sanitizing stations. That's why you lovely people are sitting with paper between you that's spacing things out, and we appreciate your help within that. But we just want to reiterate again from the staff and leadership perspective that what we ask is that you make a choice that is best for your safety and your spiritual well-being. Um, We can't make that choice for everyone. And so our job is to make this place as safe as possible and to make our online services as awesome as possible. And again, I can't tell you how proud that I am of our tech team and those who have done a lot of work to make that thing an incredible experience online. And I want to say again, um, if online, and I, look, this isn't for everyone, I get it, and neither is coming here for everyone, I get it, that's why we're giving you options, uh, but some people may be very vital members of First Baptist Church and may not show up in person for quite some time because online is the best option for them. And I've said it in the office to our staff as well. Wouldn't it be awesome if people in our church just said, hey, you know what, we're going to start a Bible study group in our home and we're going to show the worship service online on a Sunday morning. And then how cool would that be that a year from now we have 15 or 20 uh, people who are meeting all over Parker County with uh, 10 or 20 people home, the church would have doubled in size, you know, if these things start happening and that. So it's, it's not for everyone I understand. And we do miss the fellowship and seeing everyone together. But we want to make sure that you feel comfortable making whatever decision that you want to make. If you're coming here in person, we're glad you're here. And uh, it's a lot easier to preach to you guys than empty pews. I will let you know that. And we hope that you're getting an opportunity to fellowship with one another. But if online for you because of what you're doing, then man, we're excited for you as well. And so just know that um, we're going to do our best to keep you informed as we know of people who may come in contact with COVID-19 or people in our church who may 
who may contract it or whatever. And as many of you know, one of our His Kids employees uh, last week tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. And so um, that's why we meet in these two buildings, and they've kept in those two buildings, and they've cleaned and sanitized and things that those awesome employees need to go through to make that environment as safe as possible. And we're working in that. But that's why we keep informing you of these things. And just know um, that it's, it's your choice, and we support you in the choices that you're making. And we're going to do everything we can uh, to help make sure that your worship experience and your spiritual development it doesn't slow down a bit during this time. So thank you for that. And I just want to make sure that you guys know that. All right, let's get to the message, okay? So uh, we have been looking in Matthew chapter 5 at the Beatitudes. And something that I have said all along is... Uh, even though I'm preaching them one at a time, we need to remember that they all build one off of the other. They are a connected whole. You don't just need to look at it. In fact, it's a bad idea pretty much any time to just take one verse and build a whole lot of things around one verse ever. You need to understand the context that's going around that. Uh, I laughed one time as, you know, I did 20 years in student ministry, and we go to this one camp, and... Um, the camp theme is all based around this verse that, you know, watch because God's going to be doing amazing things around you. But in context, what he was about to do was judge the nation and bring them all into slavery. And so I was like, well, contextually, that might not be the most exciting camp theme. But if you just take that one verse and look at it, you go, oh, these words are nice. I like these words. And, and so if you understand it in context, it, it, it may mean a little bit more. And so as we look today, we're about halfway through uh, the Beatitudes today, and so just remember that they all build on one another. And as we get to looking today at uh, Matthew 5, 6, I want to first ask you this question. What consumes me? You ever asked yourself that question? What consumes me? You ever been consumed? Maybe obsessed, maybe bothered, maybe whatever. Just things are just consuming you. Sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes there's just something that's happening. You've got to deal with it. I've got to resolve this. I've got to handle this. But then most of the time, it's just that thing that eats at you. It drives you. It's the thing that is on your mind all the time. It's something that you're working toward. Maybe in the forefront, maybe sometimes it's always working in the background or something, but it just consumes you. Let me ask you this thing. Does it change? Often, it'll change some. In our life, obviously, as different seasons of life, different stages and ages of life. But what God offers is God wants us to have a singular focus on him. And I think that that's a really odd concept, to be honest with you, for many believers. Because we think there's so much going on in this world and so much going on in my life. And there's so many things that I have to take care of. To think that God wants us to have a singular focus on trusting and following him in the midst of all these other things sometimes seems way too simplistic. And when we really think about that, what God's asking us to do is say, hey, just trust me with everything. Die to self, live for me, and everything will, will find, you'll find life in doing that. You, everything in your life will come into focus as you begin to do that. And the, the reason I don't know about you. Sometimes I tell you I preach things because I believe them, and sometimes I preach them because I know them. I'll just go ahead and tell you that this is therapy with all of you here today, okay? We're just going to go ahead and say that. Sometimes the thing that gets in our way of having a singular focus on God, it really doesn't change all that often. It's just myself. It's self. That's the thing we struggle with most of the time. Most of us are consumed with ourself. We just like to package it in a lot of different ways. 
And we like to say, oh, this is something that's really important right now, or this thing's going on. But when you come down to it, it really can be black and white to say, am I focusing on the things that I want to focus on, or am I focusing on the things that God wants me to focus on in my life? And so really, once again, this, this whole idea and understanding of sin, it's not really a struggle with the bad, bad things in the world all the time. Most of the time, it's a struggle with, am I going to do things my way, or am I going to do things God's way? And so what God is actually offering us is that become consumed with the things of God and you will find life. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, we began, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And then today, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And I think you can begin to see now what I'm talking about is you can't just take one of these and pull it out of context. You begin to see how these fit together and how these come together to help us develop a new way of seeing life and a new way of approaching life in the way that only God can lead us to. If we're to understand the blessings that Jesus speaks of in these verses, we have to begin by realizing that we're poor in spirit acknowledging that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, that we don't have enough to make things right with God. And, and, and when we realize that and we realize exactly how far away from God we are and how bankrupt we are, it naturally leads us in our spirit to mourn. And we are broken over that. We feel the weight and the guilt of our sins and our brokenness and the corruption in our hearts. And, and then we grieve over the, the things that that has done in our life and in the world around us. And this in turn causes us to be humble because we begin to understand that I'm not all that. I'm, I'm just not. I don't have it all together. I don't have all these things. So it leads us to humility as a, an undeserving recipient of God's grace and God's love. And, and we respond to him graciously to all the things that are going on in, in, in our life, we begin to see that God can work in those things. So you see how these fit together? And then now the first three of these Beatitudes tell us a little bit about who we are, but then now the fourth, God says, but now here's what you do. Here's who you are, and here's what you do. And I've said this before, and it was, I will admit, it was a little tough on the first three weeks because the first three of these are just reminding us how big the gap is between us and God and, and, and how we need to have that filled. But then, ha, huh, we get a little resolve today because Jesus says, but if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. If you pursue all these other things and try to do it all on your own, try to take care of life all on your own, you're going to constantly come short. You're going to have a constant wrestling match with yourself. You're going to have a constant wrestling match with God because you're going to be trying to resolve all of these things in your own mind, in your own way, and not just saying, God, I want to hunger and thirst for the things that you bring in my life because I know if I do that, I will be filled, I will be satisfied, I will be happy. I will be complete. I will find joy. Whatever word you want to put right there, Jesus is spelling it out as plain as he can. And so here's what I want us to understand as we hop into this. If I hunger for happiness, I'm going to starve. You ever, have you figured that out yet? 
if you just try to navigate your life to where things are happy all the time, I can't even say that without almost laughing because of the impossibility of it, you're going to end up starving. And, and so Jesus said in 1 John, or actually John wrote these words in 1 John. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, that's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world with its lusts are passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so if we're just always striving for comfort or convenience or happiness, we're going to continue to hunger in life. So can I just say this? Don't sell short the plans that God has for your life by not being willing to do the hard things. Just say that again. Don't sell short the plans that God has for your life by not being willing to do some of the hard things. You see, most of us have a tendency to find the path of least resistance or to find the way that's most comfortable or to find the way that's most convenient. But sometimes God says the best way is if you just go right through here. and It's going to be a little harder, and it might take a little more, but I promise you, you will be so satisfied when you do this. You will be so filled when you do this. And so let me ask you a question for reflection, just to kind of put this whole thing in context. And I, I would encourage you, it's not on the notes, but you can write this down or, or you can go back and watch this online again later and just think about this question and reflect on it. Have we as Christians in, in our American culture, have we mistaken the pursuit of blessings for the pursuit of righteousness? Would you be willing to ask yourself that question? Have we mistaken the pursuit of blessing with the pursuit of righteousness? Because I hear a lot of people who sell a gospel that says that, well, if you'll follow Jesus, then blessings in life will follow. Which really what that's saying is the reason I want to follow Jesus is so I receive blessings. And that's not necessarily a pursuit of righteousness, is it? That's a pursuit of blessing. And so what Jesus is saying here is blessed when you're poor in spirit and you realize you don't have enough and the answer is not within, it is in me. And blessed are you when you mourn over that because you're going to be comforted because you realize you're broken and you're doing something about it, you're coming to me. And, and blessed are you when you humble yourselves and realize that you're not the center of this world, but that God is. And when you find the center of this world and you put your faith and your trust in him, then you find life that's the message. And then he says, if, if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. So if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'll be filled. If I hunger for righteousness, I'll be filled. Let me ask you something. We also need to admit that for the vast majority of us, we have no concept of hunger or thirst. Because right now we're sitting in church going, I hope he finishes soon because I'm going to lunch. And you already have it planned, and you already know where it's coming from, and you already know what you're going to do. And if you don't, you're going to figure it out real quick, and you're going to go by multiple options on the way. And so for us to really take this word hunger, do I hunger, what consumes me, 
it, it's a hard concept sometimes for us to let sink into our heart when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, there's something else about that, that passage that I love. Filled is past tense. Did you catch that? It doesn't say that you'll be filled eventually. It says you, you'll be filled. You're, you're filled. It, it is something that when we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, the fulfillment that happens in our heart and in our life, it is received. It is not achieved. Okay? Did you catch that? It's something that is received. It's not something that is achieved. You don't work it all up on your own and work your way to God. It is something that you just accept and see. It is an awesome example of God's provision being so much greater than our own ability. And so he wants us to desire righteousness beyond all other things in our life. And he says if we do that, then we will be filled. And so how do we do that? Again, I want to come back into the context. Jesus, when he started teaching, he said he saw the crowds. And so he sees the crowds. He sees all the needs in the crowds. And he begins teaching these beatitudes. And as he teaches these things, we can sit this side of history uh, from the resurrection. And we can look at this and go, man, you just want to look at the crowd and go, he's the one you need to follow. He's righteousness. He's the source. And that's what we need to understand for ourselves is that Jesus is the source of righteousness. Your good works are not the source of righteousness. Your obedience is not the source of righteousness. Your ability to take the things of God and apply them to your life is not the source of righteousness. Jesus Christ himself is the source of righteousness. In John chapter 7, it says this, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. In John chapter 6, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So the source of righteousness is getting to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Come to know Jesus better. Strive to know Jesus better. How do I do this? He's already told us in the previous passages. We have to continue to die to self and live for him. To realize that the answer is not within us, that he is the answer. That when we look to self, we're always going to end up wanting and hurting and left out and just unfulfilled. But when we learn to look at Jesus Christ, he will fill us. And so we need to learn to know him better. And as we become, as we come to the point to know someone better, just stop for a minute and think about. Think about your spouse or think about your best friend or think about a friend you have, someone, and, and you probably didn't spend a whole lot of time mapping things out going, okay, how am I going to get to know this person better? How did you get to know that person better? You spent time with them. I mean, that's just the simple answer, right? You spent time with them. And the more time you spent with them, the better you got to know them. And then if you actually like this person and you want to spend more time with them, what begins to happen? You begin to discover the things that they like and the things that they don't like. 
And if those match up with the things that you like and the things that you don't like, then guess what? You start doing some things. Sorry. You start doing some things with them because you know you all like doing these things. And you know what else happens? You stop doing some things because you go, well, none of us like these things and we stop doing We have overcomplicated at times a discipleship process, which is really simple. Just get to know Jesus better by spending time with him. Get in the word of God. Read it. And if it says it and you see something in your life that's different than that, let me just go ahead and speed this up. You need to make an adjustment because he's right and you're not. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. And I know that sounds almost harsh at times, but, but this is the truth about it. But where that comes is it's not just this God who has his, his hand pressed on us trying to get. It comes out of love. He wants us to have fulfillment and, and joy in these things in life. And he loves us, and so he gives us this path. You know, I tell you, I learned something about God by looking at every relationship I have in my life. And, of course, you know, Julie and I have been married 30 years uh, this year. And so that COVID, thanks. Um, So anyway, um, so maybe it's our fault. I don't know. But uh, I know things about her now. I know how I could walk in a room and immediately make her happy. I know how I could walk in a room and immediately make her not happy. You know what I mean? And I know that because I've spent time with her. And so as a smart person, I walk in a room and I ask myself the question, how do I make this person happy whom I love? I don't walk in a room and go, watch this, you know, and just try to get away with something. And so the same thing is true. So here's, here's this context. If, if I'm going to, to be righteous, I'm going to receive that righteousness that God has, then what begins to happen is you begin to notice that as I hunger and thirst for the things of God, I begin to recognize things in my life that are hindering that pursuit of righteousness. And in that context, we understand that I must get right with God and get rid of sin. I have to get right with God and I have to get rid of sin. It's in that context. It doesn't mean that we spend our life trying to get rid of sin so that God will like us. God loves us, and in that relationship with him, because we want to know him more and better, we naturally say, i got to get rid of some of these things in my life because they're hindering my pursuit of righteousness to God. Jeremiah 29, 13, the prophet writes this, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's a key. We cannot have a half-hearted approach to our relationship with Christ. It does not work. It will always come up short. Peter writes these words, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So once again, there's nothing that you need to do because Christ has already done it. But now that you begin to pursue him, he's already traded righteous for unrighteous. He's already made the way for you to know him more. And all you have to do is pursue him. And as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Now, think about this as well. Hunger is a sign of life. When we hunger, it means we're still alive. Because I don't think there are any dead people who are hungry. And as a matter of fact, if you want to figure out how hunger is a sign of life, take a new baby. 
let it get hungry. See if it doesn't liven things up just a little bit. It happens because it is a natural desire from within to go, I need something in my life. When a child is hungry, you know it. Can I ask you this question? Do people know you're hungry for the things of God? Do people know you're hungry for the things of God? If someone were to fill this sentence in about you, hey, Lyndall, I know Lyndall, and Lyndall is hungry for, what would, what would it be? What would be at the end of that sentence? Have you thought about that in your life? Because when you're hungry for something, people see it. People know it. The psalmist writes it this way, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When, I can, when can I come and appear before God? Again, Psalm 63, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. Psalm 84, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Job writes these words, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. So I go back to what consumes you. Because what Jesus tells us is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Righteousness is not a pursuit of getting everything right in my life and doing everything the right way. Righteousness is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And as you hunger and thirst to know him more, you will be filled. If you pursue the things in this world or pursue the things that are just limited to the desires of your own heart, you're always going to end up hungry. But when you learn to pursue God more than anything else, you will be filled. And so we can do that not because of our own goodness, not because of our greatness. It's because we're poor in spirit and we realize that we're broken and bankrupt and then that leads me to mourn and then I humble myself to come to God. But I'm not dragging to God like this just going, oh God, you know, can you help me? It is this realization that, okay, God, you're the answer and you want me to have life. And so you need to understand this. As a sinner, I'm more than forgiven. I'm befriended by God. I'm taken in. He's not just going, well, we're going to fix this. So you just stand over there while we figure this. That's not it. God not only forgives you, he befriends you. He wants you to have life. He wants you to be filled. He wants you to find joy and peace and comfort. And then he wants you to be his ambassador to share that good news of hope with everyone that you come in contact with. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Pursuing the things of this world will lead to sin and death. Pursuing the things of God will lead you to life. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be filled. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?